You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So this morning, we start a new series. I start a new series. I guess we would be including you in all the writing of that series. But I start a new series this week called Unforgettable. Um, life-changing encounters with Jesus. The, the way it connects to our renewal theme that we've had this year was, was prior coming into Easter, um, we did a series called Roots, uh, Stories of Renewal, where we went through the, the genealogy of Christ and actually pulled out stories, you recall, we pull out, pulled out stories and showed how God's renewal of them fit into his overarching renewal story. Um, so, now, post-Easter, I want to look through some of the encounters Jesus had with people and how those encounters changed their life. One was renewal coming into Christ. One is going to be renewal coming out of Christ. Um, have you ever met a celebrity and it was a memorable experience? Same response at 9 o'clock. Okay. Have you ever met a celebrity that was a forgettable experience? Yeah, they were a little bit more vocal. It seemed like they had much more forgettable experiences meeting celebrities than, than, than uh, you know, memorable ones. Gina tells a story that when she was nine, she was getting off an elevator somewhere, and George Hamilton, most of you are going to have to Google who that is, George Hamilton um, took her hand coming off the, the, the elevator and, and kissed her hand. Uh, I remember the first time I met John Smoltz, John Smoltz, Hall of Fame pitcher for Atlanta Braves, and, and probably will end up being a Hall of Fame broadcaster. He's doing really good in that regard. First time I met, met uh, John Smoltz was at an Atlanta Braves fundraiser for, their, for their, um, um, their foundation, and you could sign up to play um, players in poker, pool, ping pong, that kind of stuff, and so I signed up to play ping pong with, with John Smoltz, and um, I smoked him. And, um, and so when we finished, I asked him, I said, if you'd like to play again? And he said, no, I got other people to meet. So it was kind of a kind of forgettable experience. I've met John on multiple occasions, actually, since that time. And he, John's, a, John's a really, really good guy. That was, um, um, I think, his ego. No, I'm not kidding. So, and we live in Nashville. So in Nashville, we're prone to meet celebrities, right? And so we have some good experiences, some bad experiences. I would, I'd encourage you, though, to, to treat them like real people and that they might have had a bad day too, right? But what makes someone um, unforgettable in our meeting with them is how they impact us. And so I wanted to give you a really great example of, of how meeting a celebrity kind of changes things. amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. Of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. (laughs) Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. Today's service sponsored by. It's interesting. I just I love commercials personally. I love the humor in commercials, and insurance commercials end up doing the best job at this kind of humor. Um, and to get a great, remember a memorable experience with a celebrity, I had to go to an animated gecko. But how do we end? Un- he makes you feel 
seen. So this is kind of like the, the first level of an unforgettable person is they make you feel seen like you're the most important person in the room. We all know we're in conversation with someone if they are taking off in conversations with someone else, right? All right, so the next level of unforgettable for me, though, is unforgettable people do more than make impressions, they leave an imprint. There's something about meeting them that leaves an imprint on your life having met them, which kind of leads kind of the, the, the next tier would be unforgettable people are catalysts for transformation. So it kind of starts out when you meet someone that's unforgettable as someone that makes you feel seen, kind of known. The second is there's something about their life that leaves an imprint. And then really, I mean, the, the, the granddaddy of them all is when that experience or your relationship with them or something translates into something that's transforming. And so Jesus then becomes, even especially when we look at his just physical encounters in the New Testament, he is probably the most right, unforgettable person, on, especially as it relates to these categories, making you feel seen, imprinting on your life, and becoming unforgettable. Um, so this past week, we put tax season behind us. Aren't you glad that I brought that up? It's a painful yet unavoidable season. Let me make it more painful. I did a little, did a little research, and the estimate for 2022 is it took you 42 days, 42 working days to pay your taxes. That's 16% of your working days this year, eight weeks to pay your taxes. Um, and the reason why I bring that up it's because, uniquely enough, Jesus has encounters with two different tax collectors during his lifetime that we have record of. And I just thought it was odd and very, very unique that I don't, I don't recall, and probably it's there, I don't recall him meeting any particular people from many occupations that they kind of overlapped. And here we have two. First one he meets is Matthew. The second he meets is Zacchaeus. And I want to look at Jesus' encounter with Matthew and Zacchaeus and make some cor corollaries between uh, us and them. Um, so you would think that in Matthew, since Matthew writes the gospel of... Just making sure you're still with me after the gecko. All right. So you would think, you would think that at, uh, it's, his story is listed in all the gospels. Uh, but John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it. You would think Matthew would give us more information about how he encountered Jesus than we would hear in any other gospel. And he doesn't. Ma Matthew gives us the same kind of four or five lines that the other gospels tell us. And, but here's how Matthew tells it in Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw, say saw. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now here, Matthew's telling the story. Like it. So he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. This puts you, tells you the category of tax collectors in the day. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the unhealthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus saw, and Matthew followed. This was, Matthew heard this as an invitation. And it was an invitation that required movement. Invitations from God, invitation to Christ, require movement. 
movement, just not the acknowledgement that we've heard them. It takes movement to receive them. Um, Jesus never says, follow me because this is going to be a better life. He doesn't seem to make an offer to the follow me. He just says, follow me. And I, I think this is significant because I think there were people throughout the New Testament, when they encountered Jesus, they just said, nah, no thanks. Right? You're not really offering me anything better or anything that I can recognize as different than what I'm doing, so I'm just going to stay put. Now, we don't read that anywhere, but plenty of people that Jesus encountered did not follow him. So there had to be something to them saying, eh, I don't really see what you've got to offer. I'm just going to keep plugging away at what I'm doing. I'm, not, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. But Matthew hears, follow me with a different set of ears, and he responds immediately. Um, there was the Jewish system of education was all wrapped around their identity of their history, right? So the, when they were Jewish, um, when, when they entered school, when the boys entered school at age six, it was wrapped around a couple of things. One, to learn their heritage, and to learn the law. In fact, the first element of Jewish education for boys six to ten was they memorized the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they memorized this because it became, it was their identity. It wasn't just the law of God or how to connect to God. This was their identity. And if they did that, if they did that well enough, they would pass on to the next level of education. That was 10 through 14. In that level of education, they were expected now to learn all of the Old Testament. So 39 total books. All right, 39 total books. And, um, and then also what would have been known as the, the oral tradition. So what some of the leading rabbis would have taught around the Old Testament. And they were, they were required to do that. If they passed that level of education, then they would move on to, um, to actually becoming um, candidate, a candidate for being a disciple, or talimidim, something like that, Zerubbabel. Um, so... I, I, I know who's here. When you laugh, it's, when you laugh at jokes from th four weeks ago. Um, to become someone's disciple, the, 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 the language also would have been said, described this way, that you wore the dust of your rabbi. Right, so that you, 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 could, you had the ability to follow the rabbi so closely in the sense of, of what they taught, how they taught, how they understood the scripture, how they expound on the scripture, that they believed that you could be like them in that manner. And they would make an invitation to you, follow me. This is how Matthew would have heard it. He wouldn't have heard it coming from a politician. He wouldn't have heard it coming from a CEO. He wouldn't have heard it coming from a social influencer. He wouldn't have heard it coming from someone that would have benefited from his following. He heard it from the standpoint of how he could be changed. And what he had, what this rabbi saw in him. And he, that's why... He leaves everything, and he follows Jesus. If you, if you didn't pass the first level of education, you were, you were told to go home and learn a trade. Okay? If you've, even if you advanced to the next level, you were told to go, if you couldn't advance, learn a trade. In this case, if a, if a rabbi did not choose you, then you were going to learn a trade. Um, so when, when Matthew hears this, follow me, um, he understood this not as a simple invitation. It was loaded with validation and purpose. And what he did 
internally was he looked at what he was doing and there was no validity, there was no purpose, he was going through the motions, this was something he lands on, which I'll explain in a little bit later, he lands there, but when he gets this invitation, he gets up and moves. Tax collectors were on the lowest rung of the social ladder. Now, they would have been higher on the economic ladder, but in the choice of being a tax collector for Rome, he would have, in essence, been putting himself out of his own family. He put himself out of the temple. He was going to be excluded. And so how do you make that choice as a Jewish boy? It wasn't because he flunked out of Torah school. Matthew quotes the Old Testament 99 times. That's three times all the other gospel writers combined. And when he quotes the Old Testament, it doesn't appear when you read it as if he's doing some research and he's needing to footnote something. It, it comes across conversationally. And so it tells me that he had a great recollection of the Old Testament. He had a great handle on the Old Testament. And yet, why does he become a tax collector? And the only thing that makes sense to me is that he's in the last phase of schooling and nobody chose him. What would cause you then to pick up an occupation that's antithetical to who you were and who your identity was? The only thing that makes sense to me is he felt overlooked. He felt denied. He felt pushed off. He didn't feel like he was. He made the grade. Um, and so when, when you look then, when Matthew's telling his story, right, it says, it said, you don't have to go back, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. And I would contend that what Jesus did, he was on a rest, restorative mission of hope and purpose for Matthew. That he goes into that city on that day by that route specifically to see Matthew. Because there's no other person in that scene does he say, follow me. He sees Matthew sitting somewhere that wasn't where Matthew should have been sitting. And he says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and leaves. Um, he doesn't collect the last paycheck. He doesn't make sure that um, everything's locked up properly. We have him just leaving. He jumped at the chance. Um, a chance for life, a chance of redemption, a chance for purpose, making Jesus an unforgettable person. I'll circle back to Matthew in a minute. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, always changed then, right? It always changed. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. That's my first introduction to Zacchaeus. Some of you possibly the same way. Thank you. Thank you. They were much more robust at 9 o'clock. I always compare you two. I always compare. Um, That's my first introduction to Zacchaeus as a kid. I, I mean, I was not ashamed to say I was, uh, I, I got those opportunities. Um, they were good opportunities for me. But then you read Zacchaeus' story. You read it in Luke 19. The only gospel writer who records this story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. What a great word, right? He has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and I now give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to what? See, seek, and save those who are lost. I mean, this was... This was calling Matthew to be a disciple was radical. Matthew's response to the call was radical. Jesus saying, this is a son of Abraham? Your Jewish ears would have fell off your head of saying, this man right here. I mean, this was a moment. This, y'all look at this man right here. It's a son of Abraham. Stunning. It would have stunned. It would have stunned Everybody. Um, it looks like Matthew, Jesus comes after Matthew. It looks like that Zacchaeus goes after Jesus. And both lives are changed when Jesus sees them. Because lives are always changed when we see Jesus seeing us. One of the worst life experiences anybody can ever have is to be overlooked. Dismissed. Invisible. Not chosen. It is a terrible experience. But all it takes is for just one right person to see you. And your life can change. Now here, here's why I know that to be. When, when, when I moved to Nashville 16 years ago, I quickly discovered that Nashville was the place where dreams went to die. And, and I came to that conclusion because so many people I met that moved here to launch a dream that weren't living the dream that they came to launch. And so just inside, internally, from a pastoral standpoint, I went, there are a lot of broken dreams in Nashville. Artists will hang in and hang in and hang in and hang in. What are they looking for? Some, just that one person to discover, to see them. And then you look at it on the corporate side. So you look at it outside of an artist side. And what, what, what do you want to do at work? You want to be noticed. You want to be seen, right? And in so many instances, you're like, if, if you can bring up the way to solve that problem is the way to be seen. If you can come up with an innovative solution or an innovative approach or an innovative product, that this is the way that you want to be seen. And how many times do you sit in your office or, 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 or on, your, um, on the road covering your district and you feel unseen, invisible, just going through the grind? Being seen being, is a universal need and it's born into us. You think about when you see children, babies crying, they're not expressing it this way, but this is what they're saying. Hey, mom, dad, I need you to see me right now. There's something I need you to take care of, right? And so crying is the nature in which they bring that to be. Well, they, they, they pick up a vocabulary, and we're excited, and, and then the, for the rest of our lives, we can't get away from it. 
They pick up a vocabulary, and here's now how it gets articulated their need to be seen. Mommy, daddy, look at me, 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 look at me. Right? Because there's something inside that needs to be seen. You enter adolescence? How do boys get girls' attention? Stupid ways, right? Just, just, just pure stupid ways. How do girls get guys' attention? They ignore them. That is the right. That is that's the way. That's the way they do it, right? But there's there's in there's there's born in us this need to be to be seen. It is deep. It's so deep. And God and Satan both know this need, and they both approach it two different ways. Satan will leverage every overlooked and forgotten moment in your life to get you to give up on yourself, to give up on others, and to give up on God. Satan's goal is your insecurity. See, this is what I think it really hones down to. Our need to be seen is based out of our insecurity. Annie has a shirt in her, in her, in her shop that says, um, you are enough. And that's kind of seemed to be the mantra of, of our culture right now. You're enough. And I've got really bad news and good news. The bad news is you are not enough. Because see, the implication in the culture is, if you can just put all those pieces together inside of you, you can do it. And I got another bad news. Not all the pieces are there. And we're broken and mishmashed of a bunch of stuff. But the good news is God is enough. And he takes all of that stuff that needs to be redeemed, put back together, the missing pieces put in, and he, he's able to do that. And so we are enough in him. So the shirt needs two sides. And he didn't go for it. Uh, not because she didn't believe that, but she just doesn't like my artwork. So I am enough in Christ. I am enough in Christ. But, but what the enemy wants you to do is stay and live inside of that insecurity. Have you ever, like I am, like I may be the most insecure person in the room, so I'm not throwing stones at insecurity because I know when I react out of insecurity and it's not good. So can you think of a time when you react to someone out of your insecurity? Right? It, it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't turn out well. Or when someone reacts to you out of their insecurity, it, it doesn't turn out well. So, so sin causes this great insecurity inside of us, and Satan wants to leverage and take every opportunity for you to feel insecure to magnify that out really good, right? He wants to magnify that. He wants to accentuate your feelings of invisibility. So how does God handle it? God stays present with you, waiting for your eyes to catch his eyes. Because God's goal is your security. And he wants to accentuate the depth of his receptivity to you. But then I found, I was reading over this this morning, and, and a better way to say that hit me. The enemy wants us to be invisible, and God wants us to be invincible. He wants us to live in that invisibility and Christ wants to wrap us up and surround us to convince us in him that we are invincible in him. That's how they take different approaches. Have you ever caught someone staring at you? It is awkward, isn't it? <laughs> that, that look over like when you, 
you know, I mean, it's, it's a really awkward, unless you really enjoy it, because then, then you just stare back. And then, you know, that's a whole different thing that happens. Um, but when, like I said, I see Matthew, I see, I see Jesus searching out Matthew. I see, I see Zacchaeus. I see Zacchaeus looking at Jesus. He's looking for Jesus. And Jesus catches their eyes. And I started thinking, well, do we, do we climb a tree to catch Jesus? How, how do we catch the gaze of Jesus and then it hit me. He's always staring at us. You don't believe me? Here's what David says in Psalm 139. This is out of the, the message version. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back, I'm never out of your, what? Sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look, I look behind me, you're there staring at me. Then up ahead, you're there too looking back at me. I, I wrote those two pieces. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful, I can't take it all in. Here's a guy who writes. Right? I mean, he's a songwriter, he's a poet, he's the king. And he says, I can't, I can't even wrap anything around this. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'll find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you, you watched me grow from conception to birth, all the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one. How does that make you feel? It should make us feel secure. Our need isn't to be the center of attention or to somehow be valued. And, and that's not what our real needs are. The down deep is to be known and loved. That is to fill the secure need that we need. That someone, not that I've been able to, you know, talk a good game or hide all my stuff from them. Those people, the, those people don't know you. See, one of our big fears is if someone knew everything there was to know about us, would they change the way they thought of us? Right? We live so much for appearances. We all do. With our Heavenly Father, He has got it all. He has watched every area of our development. And He's never withdrawn His promise. He's never withdrawn His invitation. He's never withdrawn the follow me. This is what it means to be unforgettable an unforgettable encounter with someone.
who knows every, every bit and stays and hangs with us. So what are the responses? What are the responses? Because there's Matthew and Zach, Zacchaeus respond differently. Jesus responds to their response. And then I'll look at our response. So Matthew and Zacchaeus' responses are both radical, but both very different, right? So Matthew quits right then and there. Like I said, doesn't go pick up the, he doesn't go pick up the next, next paycheck. I mean, he's gone. Why does he go and leave so abruptly? Here's, my, here's my, my position. Matthew wasn't going to be able to live out his new purpose within the confines of his old gig. Because what's Matthew's call end up being? Yes, disciple. But Matthew writes a gospel. Matthew writes a documentary, documentary around a man who said, I have no home. Which means Jesus was always on the move. You're not going to write a blow-by-blow blow account of Jesus' life from a tax booth in Jerusalem. So why does he leave like that? Because the purpose that God had put inside of him, that was germinating inside him, the attention for detail... He wasn't going to be able to live that out where he was. He knew that, and he picks up and leaves. Listen, he didn't just drop everything behind and, and took a flying leap. He knew where he was going and what he was doing. That's Matthew. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, wasn't just a tax collector in some booth in Jerusalem. He was a what kind of tax collector? All right, he's a chief tax collector. What in the heck does a chief tax collector mean? Well, let's, let's, just, let's just unpack it. That means probably he had other tax collectors underneath him. He had other districts. He had his, he had his own territory. All right? He had his own territory. And so he had influence in the arena he was in. Zacchaeus doesn't drop everything and follow Jesus. What Zacchaeus does is he stands up and says, I'm going to give away half of everything I have. And if I've cheated anybody, which really is such a stupid statement for a, Roman, for a tax collector to have made in, in that setting. Now, I know you might think, let, let me just stick over here in first century. All right. So he cheated people. Right. But within the system, it was legal. Rome gave them the latitude to collect what they determined as long as Rome got their cut. So I'm going to tell you, somebody had that on record. Right? I mean, so the next day there was a line at Zacchaeus' place to get their money. Right? This traveled far and wide. And so what is he doing? This is an act of repentance. This is an acknowledgement of my, my old way of life. This is gone. And the way, way I'm going to say this and mark this is I'm giving away half that I've acquired. I'm, just, I'm giving it away to the poor. And all those people that I cheated... I'm going to give him back four times of what I took. Now, if he's a chief tax collector, there's no telling how my, that line was like. I'm, I tried to imagine what staff meeting was like the next time they got together. All right? So he gathers all his tax collectors in the room and says, All right, boys, tell you what's going to happen. Everybody now, you, you are getting a flat, your salary is a flat rate. All right, I'm going to pay you well, and we'll take care of you, but it's going to be a flat rate. We're not going to do business the way we've done business before. There's some money that's owed. It's our job to collect it. We're going to collect it, but we're going to do it in a completely different manner. No more gouging. 
No more stealing. What it says, what I tell you they owe, they owe. And that's how we're going to do business. If you want to do business that way, then you can do business with me. If you don't want to do business this way, well, then there's a lot of other chief tax collectors that's probably looking for help. And if you want to know why I'm making this change now, as I got to tell you about the guy I met yesterday. I guarantee you there was not a large gap between their boss saying, I'm giving every half of my stuff away and I'm taking care of all the misdeeds to that staff meeting. I mean, if it wasn't scheduled, he scheduled it. So Matthew could not fulfill the purpose that God had inside of him from the tax collector's booth. So he gets up and follows Jesus. Zacchaeus gets no call to follow me. Zacchaeus' transformation was, you're going to do business the way it should be done. And you're going to use your influence where you are to tell everybody what it was like to meet me. And here is where so many of us fall. That where you work and what you do, hey, I can't tell you whether or not that's the place for, for you to fulfill the purpose God has for you. If it's not, first of all, I would not quit till you have the second thing. It's always easier to get a job when you have a job. Let me put that misnomer out, <laughs> that disclaimer out there. But I would say you've got to begin working towards what the next thing is. Because you will, you, will you, be, you will not be satisfied. You'll never be, you'll never be seen in that context because God has another context for you to be in to fulfill the purpose he's put down inside of your life, okay? But then for a lot of us, where we are is the place we should be. And when you continue to look at other places or other things, you cannot worship God in that context. Everything that we do is supposed to be worshiping to God. So how you do where you, what, what you've been placed, where you're placed to be, how you do that is worship. How you do that is an expression of who you have met and what he has seen in you and you have seen in him. Because the goal of all that, no matter what industry you find yourself in, is if you do that work ethically and honorably as to the Lord, not out of some altruism stuff, as unto the Lord, someone somewhere is going to ask you, why are you doing things this way? And your answer is, I met a guy. I remember someone early on in Gateway's life, he was a financial, he's a financial planner and he started, um, he just made some decisions and he was going to take on less clients and he was going to serve them better and his business exploded. The more clients he cut to serve more better, the more he did. And he was being flown all over the place, being asked about um, his, his philosophy of business. And uh, he said, what am I going to do with this? I said, dude, you got to tell him why. You got to tell him about, you met Jesus and this has changed. He said, well, they're, they're not going to hear that. And I said, does anybody ever ask you after the conference is over for lunch or something? He said, oh, all the time. I said, there it is. There it is. When, when, when someone else asks on a separate level, can you give me more? You've got to tell them about the guy you met. Because that's the only reason why this exists. All of our purposes are the same. We are here to make God known. Why? Because he's the one to change people's lives. And that's what people need. They need a changed life. Okay? And so all of our roles, all of our responsibilities spread out all, all over whatever uh, economic map we have in this room and watching online. We all have the same role.
And if God's put you in this role and there's not another one, boy, I wouldn't move until he moved you when you have exhausted all about making him known. And I wouldn't be concerned about how that flew with the company. And I'm not talking about standing on your desk and preaching or whatever. I'm saying that when I have an opportunity and God opens that door, that we would be like Paul. Paul said, make me bold and fearless in every opportunity. And if that doesn't set well, there'll be someone that wants to take someone that's ethical and hardworking and and does all their work honorable to the Lord. You follow me? Somebody's going to want it. Someone's going to want it. That was their responses. What was Jesus' response? I love that in both cases, in Matthew and Zacchaeus, a bunch of sinners were involved. It's amazing that people who didn't look like Jesus liked Jesus. And here they were. So here's what happens. In Matthew's gospel... Later on that chapter 9 is when he says that there's nothing wrong with the harvest. He says the fields are whitened to harvest. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out harvest workers. This is what he says in chapter 9. He's saying there are plenty of people that need Jesus and they're ready for him. The problem is there's not enough people making him known in that harvest field. That's how I read it. And then Matthew finishes gospel in Matthew 28, and he gives us this, right? From Jesus, he hears it firsthand. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Comes out of Matthew. Comes out of Matthew. And then with Luke, he says, hey, go tell him, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. All right, come on, team. Clearly, we share the same purpose of making Jesus known, and we begin by telling our story of being seen. So he doesn't, Jesus just doesn't see us. He doesn't just imprint us. He transforms us. And so I want you to hear today that Jesus does see you. He does see you. He knows your backstory. He knows your present story. He has his eyes locked in on you, just waiting for you to catch his gaze. Find his eyes. Find his eyes, and it'll change you. He does see you, he can save you. See, our. Our, our, we have a tendency to look at our past, especially if, our, if we're still living in the, um, the wounds of our past, that that's the picture of who we are. All the wounds of our past, all the indecisions, indiscretions, that, that that's who we are. That's who the enemy wants you to continue to see. They always want to see you as that picture and that frame. But with redemption, what God does is he turns that picture into the frame. And he puts a new picture. Now that old story frames the transformation that's taken a place. It doesn't define me anymore. It shows who I was in comparison to who I am, which all tells the story of who he is. Because someone might not be able to relate to your story, but they can relate to the change. And they always can relate to him. And then for many of you this 
might be where it needs to hit today is he's ready to transform your purpose. He either is going to change your position for spiritual influence or he's going to transform you for your position for spiritual influence. He's either going to change your position or change you in your position for spiritual influence. Matthew and Zacchaeus, really a weird set of two guys to have these amazing encounters. Where have they hit you today? Was it a place of insecurity? What is your connect point? I can't answer that for you. But what I believe is in the, what Paul even describes as the foolishness of preaching that the Holy Spirit makes the connect point. So the question then becomes, what do you do with it? And I think it requires movements. Why I say it around here all the time, movement matters. What movement will you make? What choices will you make? what What will be different in your next staff meeting? What do you need to cement now? And that's what this response time is built for. So why don't I just pray and we just don't walk out the door, right? This is not a TED talk. The, the gospel is designed to be interacted with, regardless of how good or bad someone presents it, right? Regardless of how good or bad it gets presented, as long as the truth's presented, there's something to interact with. And so we, we build this time. You can, there's communion on the left and the right. You can receive the elements of communion. You can come in the altar. Someone will come and stand and pray with you. If you want them to pray something specifically, all you've got to do is ask them. You can stand and worship. You can kneel at your seat. You can make a note of what's going to change. What, but I encourage you to hear Christ say to you today, follow me no one is exempt he knows your story and he still offers the same thing follow me stand for prayer Lord nothing you do is random whether it's you tracking down someone in a city or them tracking you down, nothing's random. From coming in today to clicking on this link now or a month from now, nothing is random. You see us. Lord, you see the people in the room. You see the people online. You see the people in the future that will watch it online. Lord, you see us. Lord, and I pray for these men and women and students. Lord, that they will see you too. And they'll respond to you. And it's in your son's name I ask this. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today. 